0: Cornerstone Church. How are you guys doing? Good to see y'all. Well, my name is Scott and I want to give a shout out to everyone at the Santan location. Let's give it up for everyone out in Santan, reaching that community. You guys are doing a great job. Thank you, Larry, for your leadership. And to everyone in Scottsdale, Aaron, great job leading that campus. Come on, let's give it up for everyone at the Scottsdale location. Way to go, guys. So glad to have you part of the family from all of us here in Chandler. And if it's your first time here at Cornerstone, uh, we're so glad that you're here, so glad that you took time out of your day to come on out and join us this morning, and you have a guarantee every time you come to this Cornerstone, and that is, if you don't enjoy the experience, just ask for your money back when you head out, okay? So it's all good, all right? Well, today we're going to kick into a brand new series called The Contender, and in this short series, we're going we're gonna to look at something that's entirely biblical and surprisingly spiritual. A conversation on winning in life. When I was eight years old, I entered, for the first time, a competition called Punt, Pass, and Kick. Anybody ever heard of Punt, Pass, and Kick? Raise your hand if you've heard of Punt, Pass, and Kick. Okay. So I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I played peewee football, and my dad would we'd throw the football around the yard and all that kind of stuff. And so I entered Punt, Pass, and Kick, and here's what would happen. Is they would They would draw a straight line down the field, and you had to punt the football as straight as you could, as far as you could, and you had to pass or throw the ball as straight as you could, as far as you could down that line, and then kick the ball off the tee. And if you were off the line or like if I threw the ball 30 yards and it went, went five yards to the right, they would subtract the total and it would be 25 yards. So the goal was to have the most distance after you punted the ball, you passed the ball, and you kicked the ball. So at eight years old, I did it. I punted. I threw it, and I kicked it off the tee, and at the end of the competition in the western Michigan region, the eight-year-old first-place punt, pass, and kick winner was this guy right here. Come on, man. Give it to me. I'm looking for it. I want it. (laughs) It says, first-place award, age eight, 1977. Come on, now, some of you guys remember, 1977. Saturday Night Fever, Peter Frampton comes alive, the record. All right, anyway, some of you go, "Oh man, I like this church already." You're talking my game, so I win. My eight-year-old, I was like, "This is awesome." So I enter the next year, going, "Okay, I, th- I think I can do this." So I'm nine years old, and I punt the ball, and I pass the ball down the line, and I kick it off the tee, and at the end of the competition, all the nine-year-olds stood up, and they handed out the first place award. It was a repeat, baby. Come on. First place, <laughs> nine years old, punt, pass, and kick. I was crushing it, man. And so the next year, I thought, I'm going to play you. I got this. I had some swag to my step, and I went to the, the punt, pass, and kick deal when I was 10 years old, and literally total truth my dad and I are walking onto the field and you can hear a few people talking like one of the parents said there's that Rogers kid again oh he's back and I'm just like yeah you know I'm back right come on I'm I'm in this to win it I'm here to crush this thing so I punt the ball and I passed the ball and I kicked the ball and at the end of the competition all the 10-year-old kids stood up and man it was a three-peat baby right here first place three years in a row so now the natural question is, what happened to your life after that? <laughs> because I was destined to be the punter for the Arizona Cardinals. I know it. I know I could have done it. But if you fast forward my life just a few years after, I started skipping school. <laughs> Gosh, oh, man. Doing lots of drugs, honestly. Um, just making a mess of my life. And so instead of being a punter for the Cardinals, I had to settle for being a pastor. (laughs) And instead of making the bling on Sundays, punting the ball maybe four times, I'm eating PBJ, but I'm preaching Jesus four times on Sunday. And I like this even better. (laughs) But I'll tell you, when it came to punt, pass, and kick, I was a contender. And it feels good to be a contender. And it feels good to win in life, to win with our relationships. It's fun to win at work. It's fun to be a contender, to win in our marriage and with our kids. It's fun to win in our finances. It's fun to win with our life's work and make a difference in the world. And a contender is someone who's winning in life. We're in this thing to win it. Anybody here want to be a contender? Come on. You want to be a contender in life, you want to win in life. And here's the thing. When you and I win in our relationships, when we win in our marriages, when we win in our walk with Christ, when we win in our finances, when we win in our life's work, God gets glorified for it. And so he's calling you, he's calling me to be a contender. And to be a contender, there's a truth we have to embrace. And there's also an enemy that we're going to have to face if we're really going to be a contender in life. And the thing is that the truth is, is that every contender accepts responsibility. That's a hard word. But every contender accepts responsibility by asking the hard question, am I taking responsibility for my life really? Say that with me. I want you to feel that. Say, am I taking responsibility for my life? Really? You see, because we, we don't want to be a contender. Deep down, maybe, maybe you're not competitive, maybe you are, but deep down, we all want to win in life. No, no one getting engaged plans on getting divorced. No parent holds their baby in their arms with the dream that later in life, they become estranged and not want to talk to them. There's not a single college freshman on move-in day that has the vision and the expectation to quit after the first semester. I've never met an entrepreneur who hung a plaque on the wall that said, we exist to go under. (laughs) Never met him. No high school football coach is going to stand in the locker room before his team, on opening day, before taking the field, and say to his team, say, guys, I just want you to know, I love you, but if we go 0-10, just have some fun anyway. <laughs> Going 0-10 is not fun, people. Try it. Winning is more fun, isn't it? We want to be a contender, and God wants us to contend in the important things, much more important than that, but in relationships, in our walk with him. And to be a contender... We have to accept responsibility and ask that hard question. Am I taking responsibility with my life? Really? Because the opposite is the enemy for every contender. And we're going to call it the blame game. Everybody say the blame game. I am great at the blame game. Man, I'm just like, it's like I have a, a spiritual gift from God to blame other people for where I am in life. Now, there are the exceptions, please hear me in this, that maybe all of us have experienced more, some to more degree than the other, but there are exceptions in life that where we are was not our responsibility at all. Exceptions of abuse, neglect. Neglect. Uh, being married into a family that's just crazy. You're like, man, this is more of a disadvantage than an advantage in life. Uh, Sickness or freak accidents. Those are exceptions that we have no responsibility for. But try to set those aside for just a moment if we can. Because most of life, where we are, what we experience, what we have in life is a direct result from the responsibility or lack thereof that we've taken in our life. What we believe, who we hang out with, how we go about our work, we are a product of our own decisions in many ways. And, in, and a contender is going to say, okay, I'm going to own that because I'm going to take responsibility for my life really because the opposite is playing the blame game. And I'm so good at it. No matter where, I've done it more times I'd love to admit. I found myself at a, at a place in life and my instant reaction, my natural reaction is, well, it's their fault. I blame it on someone else or something else. Well, if this hadn't happened, I wouldn't be here. Anybody else with me? You said that before? I did. Oh, gosh, so much. We're naturally good at playing the blame game. You ever wonder why? Why is it so good to just, just our, our response is, well, they or he. Well, I think I know why. I'm going to take you back to where blame began. So if you have a Bible with you, open it up to Genesis chapter 2, way back in the beginning. If you're not familiar with Scripture and you don't have a copy of the Bible on you, we'll have it up on the screen here in just a moment. But Genesis 2, the first book in the Bible, while you're turning there, let me set up the context. So Genesis 1, God creates the heavens and the earth. And then it goes on to say that God created man in his own image, forming him out of the dust of the ground, breathing into him the breath of life. God created us with a body and and gave us a spirit. When he breathed into us pneuma, or the spirit in Hebrew. So God creates the first man, his name's Adam, and creates the second or the first woman, Eve. Okay? So go into Genesis 2, and here's what happens. So go down to verse 15. Genesis 2.15 reads this. It says, The Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, but the Lord God warned him: You may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except, everybody say, except. <laughs> except the tree of the knowledge. Of good and evil. And they might have been crying too, I'm telling you. because So it says, So here, what's interesting is God gave them everything. He said be fruitful, multiply, go make babies, have fun, enjoy it all. Everything you see is for your enjoyment except one thing. Just one. Just one. And then he goes on and says this, if you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Now the Hebrew word there for die, is it doesn't mean they're going to take a bite of fruit and drop dead. What it means is that um, you take a bite of fruit and the process of death will begin. Sin comes in and the process of decay and death will now perpetuate and push itself out all throughout history and the future of the world and all that kind of stuff. Take a bite of this fruit and you're going to die. So we even see way back in the beginning, God gave man a responsibility in the form of a command it's all yours it's all yours except this one thing so Genesis 3 read it sometime if you've never read this in the Bible Genesis 3 says that Satan comes along in the form of a serpent interesting story and he begins to deceive Eve into believing that God is holding out on her by saying did God really say you could have everything except the fruit of this tree, and he, he asks questions. He basically quotes God, but throws a little twist in it, which is how he still operates today, by the way. And he said, did God really say? And Eve said, yeah, he told us this is all ours, except for this one tree, because if we eat it, uh, something like uh, knowledge of good and evil, and then we're going to die. They had no concept of what death was or evil. Genesis 1 said when God was done creating everything, he said it was good. There was no sin, no evil, nothing. They had no concept of it. So Satan's basically saying, you know, what's, what you're lacking, though, is if you eat this, I'm paraphrasing, if you eat this, you're going to be just like God. Yeah, don't you want to be just like God? And so he convinces her to eat the fruit. She takes a bite. Now, guys, unless we, you know, we want to blame the woes of the world on the women, just know that Scripture says Adam was standing right there watching the whole time. The passive guy watching the whole scene unfold. And you'd think, come on, Adam. What are you doing, you jerk? Jeez. Blame it on. So, I mean, up to that point, I mean, Adam's got to be a man's man. He's God's first guy. Not tainted with sin. None of that stuff. I mean, he's a purebred. He's a thoroughbred. He's a man's man. And he stands there and he watches. And you'd think, okay, well, Adam, you know, if, if he's God's first man... He's, he's just a godly man. I mean, he's the kind of guy that would go to the Cornerstone Men's Conference every year. That's who Adam is. He's the kind of guy that goes on the men's uh, Alaskan fishing trip, I mean mission trip to Alaska. <laughs> he's a man's man, which means he wasn't a Seahawks fan. Okay? I'm just saying that. All in love. Come on. He eats beef jerky. He changes his own oil. Come on. He's God's first man. What do you say something? So Eve bites the apple, and then it says she gave him some. He took a bite, and God calls him out on it. And you'd think, okay, Adam's going to man up. Like, what have you done? And Adam would say, Oh, God, I know she took the first bite, but you're the one who gave me the command. And I was standing there and passively watching. Uh, it's me. I own it. I'm manning up here. Please don't squash her. I'll just take what you have coming for me because I'm a man. And that's what men do. We man up. That's not what he is. Look at Genesis. Turn over to Genesis chapter 3. And let's see what Adam's response is when God calls him out. Genesis 3 uh, verse 12. God calls him out and it says, the man replied, or Adam replied, it was the woman you gave me. It's that woman, God. It says, it was the woman you gave me. She gave me the fruit and then I ate it. Blame it on her. The blame games have begun. The first sin, the first act of disobedience in all of creation and the response of man was, blame it on her. That's where it all started. And then God, it says, the Lord God asked the woman, well, what have you done? And she says, the serpent deceived me. That's why I ate it. So the blames continue. That right there is where the blame game began. Now here's the the catch with with, uh, playing the blame game. I've seen it in my life a ton of times, and you could probably attest to this truth, is that when I blame, I stay the same. Nothing ever changes when we blame. Nothing in my life changes when I blame my situation on someone else or something else. Because when I blame someone or something else, I don't have anything to work on. I don't have anything to work on. It's so-and-so. My, we have uh, three teenagers, two who are now in college, and we've heard this a number of times, more from one than the other two. But like, Dad, my grades are that way because my teacher's no good. You should see my teacher. Anybody heard that, parents? Mommy, I'm getting a D because my teacher, they're just, I've been married 21 years. You know, man, my marriage marriage isn't good right now because that crazy woman that I'm married to. You know, every time I place the blame on the health of our marriage on my wife, nothing ever changes. It stays the same. Sales are down because the economy's tanked. Yeah, but with that attitude, sales are never going to go up. You see, here's the thing. When I blame, I stay the same because responsibility relinquished turns into behavior that's repeated. And the cycle just goes on and on and on and on and on. But today, we're going to be contenders, and that stops. No more blame game. Anybody with me? Come on. No more blame game. I want to be a contender. I want to start winning in some areas of my life. So what I want you to do is turn over to Galatians chapter 6 in the New Testament. Galatians 6, New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians. So Galatians 6, here's what it says. Because a contender takes responsibility. And here's Galatians 6. Let me get there. Verse 4. God's word says, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. Now that's pretty practical, isn't it? I mean, that's holy scripture. Doing a good job is a good thing, and it feels good. And then he goes on, he says, when, you do it, when the job's well done, you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. That'll set half of us free right there. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Some translations say um, we each have to carry our own load. I'll tell you this, as a dad, when my daughters get engaged or married, I don't want to marry a guy who doesn't carry his own load. Isn't that right? I want to marry a guy who's responsible and taking responsibility in life. And so the, the new living says, for we're each responsible for our own conduct. How many of you guys like pie? Anybody here like pie? Come on, pie lovers unite all around. I love pie. I could eat pie for breakfast, lunch, and dinner all day long. I brought, I've got a sweet potato pie. Yeah, all right, come on. That's right. So, um, well... I'm going to have a piece of pie in just a second because it's so darn good. But I want you to think about your life and your situation as a pie. Because with the exceptions of the abuse and the neglect and those other painful things that we are not responsible for, for the most part, we're responsible for where we are. Think of your situation, your circumstance as a pie. And you're standing in the middle of it and you draw a big line around where you are in life and it's now a pie. You got that image in your mind? Anybody with me? Okay, good. Scottsdale, you with me? Cornerstone. Wow, dude, I heard Scottsdale all the way. (laughs) Audibly, man. So uh, hold on, I hope you don't mind this because it's actually the third service here. I'm getting kind of hungry. I'm going to have a piece of sweet potato pie. Anyway, uh, you you can't have pie without um, prayer. I mean, whipped cream, right? (laughs) So got to have a little piece of, just a little whipped cream there. And, man, I'll tell you, uh, this, this wasn't planned. I'm just eating this for a moment. Mm, mm, so good. You know the thing about pie in life? <laughs> I never imagined I would have this moment right here. You know the thing about <laughs> pie in life is in every circumstance we're in, There's always a slice of the pie called my responsibility. The question, in my opinion, isn't, is there a slice of my circumstance called my responsibility? The question is, how big is the slice? And I have found in my own life as a struggling human being and in my experience as a pastor that we most often think our slice is much smaller than what it really is. And there are times when I have to get honest about my marriage and I'm thinking, all right, yeah, you know, um, some of this is my responsibility and, you know, it's just a little sliver. And then I get honest before God and God will say, it's the whole pie. It's you. I'm not getting good grades in school. Well, it's everybody else and it's just... there's always a slice called my responsibility. How big is the slice? And I'll tell you this honestly, when we get when we get honest with ourselves and where we're not owning responsibility, it doesn't taste very good. It doesn't taste like this at all. <laughs> it doesn't taste good, but it has to happen. And every situation in our life is like a pie. And there's a slice called my responsibility. And if we're gonna make any change in our life, God needs us to be responsible. If you're married, your marriage will not improve until you take responsibility for your marriage. Your business is not going to grow until you take responsibility for its growth. Where you are as a student is not going to get better until you take responsibility with who you are as a student. I feel like I'm spanking everybody. I don't mean to. I'm just telling you the truth. Is that okay? And I'm spitting pie while I'm talking, so just give me some grace here. When I, blame, when, I, when I blame, I stay the same. But when I take responsibility, things change. What's interesting is that my little slice of the pie, if I never do anything with my little slice, nothing in the pie changes. But when I take responsibility for my slice, often it influences and changes the whole darn pie. Because I'm owning it. I'm a contender. And I'm asking the hard question, am I taking responsibility for my life Really. Go down to uh, Galatians 6, verse 7. Check this out. This is really interesting in verse 7. It says this, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. That's a principle right there from God's word. You might be more science-minded. You can call it the, calls, you can call it the, the law of cause and effect or the law of sowing and reaping. I might say what goes around. You might say to your kids, you get out of it what you. God says, you will always harvest what you plant. If we plant irresponsibility and blaming others or other things for what we are in life, we're going to harvest the same results. But when we plant responsibility under the leadership of Christ, we're gonna get more of God's results. Here's what it goes on in verse 8. It says, Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest what? Decay and death from that sinful nature. Man, that's 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 some hard truth right there. And then he goes on, but those who live to please the Spirit, let me pause right there and, and just say, but those who live to align their lives with the teachings of Scripture and Christ those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. It's good news, isn't it? It is. So, verse 9. Let's not get tired of doing what is good. In the context of our conversation, let's say, let's not get tired with taking responsibility for where we are in life. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. And again, in the context of being a contender, That scripture tells me it's only when I take responsibility can I fulfill my destiny. It's when I get real with God and honest with him and I own where I am. Not to perform for him. That's religion. And that brings death. Not to perform for his love or his acceptance, but to say, okay, God, I repent. I'm not walking in alignment with what you're saying. I'm going in a different direction. I'm going to own this. I own what my relationships are like. I own what my my career is like. And he says, he says this, you will always harvest what you plant. I want to introduce you to a couple ladies. They're going to have their picture on the screen here in just a second. You can throw it up there as soon as you get it. To the right is a lady named Colleen, and on the left is Kathleen. I keep that up there for just a moment. Um, I serve on the board of directors in an organization in our community that it's a transition center, a residential transition center for women and children, women who um, have addiction, uh, um, victims of abuse, and, and, and a myriad of other things. And these two ladies have gone through that transition center. And Colleen on the right, just a few years ago, was homeless and a meth addict. Kathleen on the left was addicted to alcohol and homeless as well. Colleen on the right had meth mouth. You know what that is? That's when your teeth rot out because you're addicted to meth. And some Jesus loving dentist in our community gave her a smile back. Isn't that awesome? Now I'm obviously not a dentist, but my understanding is that's like twenty grand worth of dental work or something like that. That's pretty cool. That's that's leveraging your career for kingdom purposes. Kathleen on the left, I took that picture from my phone just two weeks ago in a coffee shop. I was talking to him. And Kathleen said to me in that conversation, she says, you know, when I got to the transition center, and she just graduated in May, this past May. So when I arrived at the transition center, I was addicted to alcohol. I was a thief, a liar, and a cheat, and I was full of shame. And I just said, well, what, what did God do in your, your guy's life? Tell me the story. And they began to unpack how they were all estranged from their kids and, and through you know, being, being freed from addiction and going through the process. Now their families are back together. They're both full-time employed. They both have vehicles. They're both getting themselves around. They're productive people. And here's, here's what. Now keep that in mind in, in, in the framework of this contender. Here's what Kathleen said to me, I wrote it down because so I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to Cornerstone in a couple weeks, and I'm, I'm talking about something that relates to this. She said this to me. She said, it took me a while, but I began to see how I had contributed to where I was in life. It was hard when I realized I wasn't just a victim. They had a lot of reasons to believe they were just victims. And then she went on and she said, things began turning around when I stopped blaming others. The process they go through, one of the the steps of that process is to stop blaming others. I didn't even know that talking to him, I'm like, this is money, man. I'm going to use this at Cornerstone because it's so darn relevant to our conversation. You see, they, in my, my estimation, they were at the bottom of the barrel. Now, I don't know what your bottom of your barrel looks like, but I've been at what I thought was the bottom of my barrel a number of times, and my barrel hadn't gone that low. I wasn't opening up dumpsters looking for food, and I wasn't addicted to meth, even though I had my own issues. But they had a bottom that went deeper than mine, and God, in all that God did that only God could do, He used responsibility as a handle to hang on to so He could pull them out. Because if they would have lived, if they would have continued to live in denial, God would not have had anything to work with. Do you see that? We've got to own it, guys. A contender takes responsibility. We ask the hard question, am I taking responsibility for my life? Really? Really? I'm going to reread that verse in Galatians 6. It says, you will always harvest what you plant. That's a promise from God. And maybe you're at a place here today where there's some relationships that are falling apart. Just ask the question, am I taking responsibility? What's the slice of pie that's mine that I need to look at, God? Show me what it is. I don't want to stick my head in the sand. If your marriage is really struggling, no condemnation. But what's the slice of that that's your responsibility? Because it will not change without owning your part. What's that place in life where, where something's, something's not right, something's askew, and you're like, this isn't working very well. Stop, God, show me what's the slice of my pie. And teach me how to now be more responsible in this area of my life. Because I'm telling you, God has created you and me to win in relationships, to win in our walk with Christ, to win in our places of work, to win in our finances. Not as some, like, motivational success thing. I'm talking about peace and joy, and fruitfulness, and impact in our world, that's a kingdom win. And we'll never experience it if we don't stand before God and honestly say, I'm going to be responsible for where I am. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father God, uh, we, we, thank you for, we thank you for the gift of understanding, for the gift of knowledge that you've given us through the Bible, through Scripture. God, thank you that you've taught us that whatever we sow, we're going to harvest. We're going we're to reap what we sow. And, God, you said that we're responsible for our own conduct. So, Lord, I pray that you'd show us of any area in our life, God, where we need to take responsibility so that we can fulfill our destiny, our calling, that the calling that you have in our life. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm going to throw this out to you and ask you just to take a moment to reflect. And that is, I want to encourage you to, to prayerfully ask that question, that hard question. Am I taking responsibility for my life? Really? Ask God. You might just say it in your heart. You might whisper it. Am I taking responsibility for my life? Really? God, show me. And maybe, for, for, I, I take it to the bank for a lot of us an image just popped in your head and you saw maybe it was your marriage maybe it was a relationship with your kids maybe it was a friend their face just popped up and God's trying to show you something in that relationship that you need to own maybe it was your financial situation maybe it was something at work whatever it was God we pray that you'd show us where we need to take more responsibility and God we know that you you don't just leave us there but God by your grace and your love, You'll teach us how to move forward in that area of our life. So, God, teach us. Because we want to be contenders, God. We want to win in these things so that you can be glorified through what you're doing in our lives. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.